my goodness, what a wonderful place to be tonight. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm going to tell you what. I knew I was coming up for camp meeting, but I didn't really know it was going to be like this tonight. What a wonderful... I, you know what? I, I just got the feeling tonight sitting back there that, uh, that you just didn't hold nothing back tonight. Amen. You didn't hold nothing back. Our choir, they just came out like they meant to sing. Brother Zimzak playing his saxophone like he meant for the glory of the Lord to come through it. Our sister, everything that's been done tonight, it just seems like that you've done it as unto the Lord and with a whole, full, uh, and ready heart. And I want to commend you for that. Thank you. It's given me the feeling like I'm a part of something tonight. It's given me the feeling like maybe I'm a part of a mighty army that is going to be triumphant and victorious in the end. And I know that we will be, amen. But I kind of felt like we felt it tonight. And I am thankful for that. Why shouldn't we feel it? And why should we hold anything back? You know that the world doesn't hold a thing back, does it? And they're racing off to destruction. They're not, they're not even slowing down a bit. They're going on to their own destruction and they're following every whim of the flesh and every leading of the, of the enemy. But you and I are serving the living God. Amen. You and I are following this wind of the Holy Spirit. And I just pray that God would help us to always, always be unrestrained in praise of God and in our obedience to Him. Join me in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name tonight, dear God, I want to ask you that you would come. Lord, I couldn't help but the feeling tonight as I listened to this service and was a part of it and felt what your Spirit was doing and how people were just wholeheartedly in it. I just kept thinking, Lord, they should have had a better preacher tonight. But God, I know that you can use anybody. You used Balaam's donkey, and so, Lord, you can use even like me. And I'm asking you, Father, that you would give me the grace and the help from the Holy Spirit to bring the Word of God to these fine people. And, Lord, that we would be encouraged together by it, that we'd be moved by the Word of God. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and trust you for it, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I find myself sometimes more lately, and perhaps you do the same, just thinking about words. I didn't really, I had to look it up. I knew I'd read it. I didn't know where it was at in the Scripture. Psalm 122, verse 6 says, Pray for the peace of of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now I read that and it doesn't make me think automatically about some city in some far corner of the world. When I think about praying for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm praying for the peace of God's church in the world. I'm praying for the peace of, of this heavenly Jerusalem that has come down upon the earth in this kingdom of God that we're part of. And I've been praying that God would grant His peace to that. I've been listening to things, you know, maybe we shouldn't do that so much. I'm always telling our people at home, don't be listening to so much from the world. Don't be listening to everything that's out there. And you know what I do it sometimes, I do. I listen and I get a little bit concerned about some of the things that I hear. Some of the things I hear the world saying about us specifically, especially in these days that we're living in. They're blaming us for a lot of things. They're blaming us for the Lord moving. I'd like to take credit for a lot of it, but I just don't feel like I can. i got to give glory to God for it. Amen. But the more God moves, the matter the world gets, don't they? I mean, the more God moves in people, the more God does, the more God glorifies His name, the more there is a, a reaction against that from the world. And boy, they get stirred up, don't they? And they're, they're getting stirred up against us. And so I've been saying to the Lord, Lord, I want to pray to you for the peace of Zion. I want to pray for the peace of the heavenly Jerusalem. I've said, Lord God, on several mornings when I've been driving to church on Sundays, 
God, I know that there are places in the world today, and it may be our turn soon, but there are places in the world today where the resistance to the words spreading is, is reaching a climax and where there are people who are becoming more and more given to aggression and maybe even to violence. There may be times when windows will be broken and maybe, maybe even more than that. And so I've said, God, I pray. I pray, Lord God, that you would just just put your hand upon your people in this world and protect them from the aggression that may come uh, from without. But, But then it just seems like every time I pray for that, the Holy Spirit always comes. He always comes and reminds me of something else I'd better be praying for. Instead of just saying, oh God, keep us safe. You see, I don't really find that often in the book of Acts where the apostles got together in a prayer meeting under the filling of the Holy Spirit and said to God, Oh God, we pray above all things that you keep us safe. Amen? What did they pray for? Oh God, keep us faithful and fill us with greater and greater zeal, a greater willingness to suffer if need be for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this kingdom, Lord, that we may even fill up, if there be anything lacking in the suffering of Christ, that we would fill it up ourselves. Amen. God, keep us safe. Yes, Lord, but more than that, Lord, keep us faithful. Lord, keep us faithful. There is a... uh, Danger in the world today, it's always been there. But the greater danger that we will face will not be danger from the outside, things coming in. It'll be, it'll be something that happens possibly on the inside of us if we're not very careful. And so I'd like to turn your attention tonight, if you join me there, in the book of Mark, chapter 8, and I'm going to read to you verse 15. And while you look for it, I'll take another drink of water. Mark chapter 8 and verse number 15, and this is what the Bible says. It says, then he, and that's Jesus, then Jesus charged them saying, take heed. Take heed. Listen closely. Very important. There was a little lady that I pastored when I lived in Tennessee, and uh, she was a dear woman of God. She had an interesting way of talking to you. And sometimes when she would talk to you and she really wanted you to hear what she would just reach out. She was a small woman, but she would reach out and reach up and grab you by the shoulders and just lock on. And she'd look you dead in the eye and she'd say, now I want you to listen real close to what I'm about to tell you. And all you could say was, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, I'm listening. You couldn't, you could not listen when somebody had you in a grip like that. I want you to listen real close to what I'm... Then he charged them, it said, saying... Listen real close. Take heed. This is important. You need to know this. Take heed. And then he went on and he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Beware. Take caution. Look out for it. The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. I imagine everybody here knows what leaven is. Just in case somebody doesn't, that's yeast. If your grandma didn't teach you how to, break, how to bake bread, uh, you might not know that. But, but leaven is, is yeast. And yeast has a distinct quality about it in that it is alive. It is a living thing. And because it is a living thing, just a little bit will do a whole lot, right? 
If you're, if you're making bread and you have all the things that you're going to put together into that dough, the flour, whatever it is you're going to mix up, whatever kind of bread you're making, the yeast that you put into it will look rather insubstantial. It will seem as though it's almost nothing. It's, it's so small in comparison to every other ingredient, but brother, just give it some time. And you'll see what will happen with that yeast. You'll see that it has a, an effect, that just that little bit, that given time, it has a way of rearranging the whole ball of dough to match its own tendencies, right? And so when Jesus is using that word leaven, very often he uses that as a metaphor. Almost exclusively, leaven is used as a metaphor in the negative in the New Testament. It's used as a metaphor maybe for things like a bad attitude, a bad way of life, uh, just simply maybe even as sin. I can only think of one time where Jesus told a parable when he said the kingdom of heaven is like uh, a little bit of leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until all of it was leaven. I'm glad the, that the gospel will work in me like that too. But when Jesus is saying here to beware of a certain kind of leaven, a, a leavening agent, something that's alive that you don't want to get mixed into your to what you're making here, he's talking not in the positive, of course, but he's talking in the negative. Beware of the leaven, of the yeast of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And I have to put myself in the shoes of his disciples the first time they heard. That would have sounded like a little bit of a disparate uh, uh, coupling of things to say. I mean, what does the one have to do with the other? In their minds, they would have heard him say, of the Pharisees and of, the, and of Herod, those, those seem like they're out there on opposite ends of something. Why? How can you put them together? Probably you didn't catch that the first time you were, you were reading the Bible as a novice in the study of the Scripture. You'd have read that and thought the Pharisees and Herod, well, them both sound bible enough to me. I guess that's what... But, but now let me tell you something. When Jesus said... Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. He was talking about two things that these disciples of his would have had a hard time understanding them in the same context. Beware of the one and of the other, but they're opposites of each other, or so they would have thought. Amen? But he was saying to them, Something, something's very dangerous here in both of these things, and I want, you to be, I want you to be watching out for them. And so let's begin at the end of it for just a moment and, and talk about the leaven of Herod. What was so dangerous about Herod anyway? What is it about him that makes him something to watch out for? Over in the same gospel, go back a chapter or two to chapter 6. I'm going to read to you verses 17 and 18. And this is about that Herod that Jesus referenced there. Mark 16, beginning in verse 17, it says, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's, uh, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her, because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You see, John the Baptist had dared had dared to tell Herod that he was accountable to the word of God. And Herod killed him for it. Didn't say it in that, but you know as well, you've read it, that it wasn't too long in prison before, before finally Herod sends his men to take away the head of John the Baptist. All because this man had the audacity to come and put his little finger in the king's face and say, what you are doing is not lawful. And I'm sure that Herod, when he heard that, he thought, what are you talking about lawful? Don't you know I'm the king? Don't you know that law begins and ends with me? 
And John the Baptist had the privilege and the responsibility of reminding him that there is a law of God that supersedes the law of man. Amen? And I'm going to tell you what, Herod just couldn't hardly handle that, could he? He just couldn't hardly handle being told that, that there was somebody who, who, could, who could override his authority. Who could tell him that there was somebody that was going to hold him to account. Right? And you and I, listen to me now, you and I live in a world, you and I live in a world where we're called to this wonderful privilege and responsibility of reminding the men and women that we meet that there is a holy God in heaven whose laws override all the laws of men, all the judgments of men, all the opinions of men, right? And you know what? Here's my thing that I'm thinking about this evening. If, if, John, if John's reception was what it was, do we expect that ours will be any better? But I want to remind you of something else. When Jesus said to his disciples over in Mark 8, 15, Beware the leaven of Herod. I want to make sure we understand what Jesus was not saying. Jesus was not saying, Now listen, you fellas better watch out for old Herod because you know he's got a temper. You better not rile him up. You would better not say anything to hurt his little feelings because he'll just kill you. Because he can't take it. Because he gets too upset, because he gets too... He's not going to like you very much if you go telling him the truth that he does. That's not what Jesus means at all, is it? That's not what he's trying to tell him about. As a matter of fact, Jesus had already told his disciples straight up, if, if you're going out and you're going to tell the world the truth, they will hate you. They have hated me. Don't you think they're going to hate you too? They're not going to be able to handle it. So what does Jesus mean here when he says to his disciples to beware, to beware of the leaven, beware of the leaven of Herod? What is this leaven of Herod anyway? What was it about him? You see, Herod was, Herod was trying to create for himself a little world. He was trying to create for himself a little world where actions don't have consequences. Where actions don't lead to consequences. Now does that sound like that came out of some old dry dusty text from a couple thousand years ago? Or does that sound like maybe something you might have read on the news this very morning? We're going to create for ourselves this world where, where actions don't have any consequences. And here comes, here comes John the Baptist and he looks at, at Herod and says, for all your authority and for all your power, you'll never, never, never be able to do that. You'll never be able to do that. Because God has issued His Word and He will hold the world accountable to that. Amen. Can I tell you, can I tell you that the world that we live in is full of that very leaven? The world that we live in is full of the leaven of Herod, right? It's all around us. It really is. It really, really is. There is the leaven of Herod uh, all around us today. And, and there's no absolutely getting rid of it. As I understand it, Jews on the preparation for the Passover... They have a little thing that they do and they spend a week removing all leaven from their homes. 
uh, kosher, uh, the, the kosher Jews, they're, they're trying to make sure that on the, on the week of Passover, they go through the house and anything that has a leavening agent in it, they have to get rid of it. They have to put it out of their house. They can't have it there. They play a little game sometimes with their children where they'll take a packet of yeast and they'll hide it somewhere in their house and their kids have to go look for it and find it. And the reason they do that is their kids might find something else they missed in the middle of looking for what they knew was hid. So they find it and they get rid of it. But you know what the truth is? The truth is, listen to me now, the truth is that you can't ever really get rid of yeast. There's yeast here alive in the air all around us, even in this sanctuary tonight. Did you know? It is a natural thing and it just lives in the air all around us. And as, as try as we might, we could never really, really get rid of it. And the truth is, let me tell you this too, the truth is that try as we might, you and I are never going to be able to create a world here in this world where we can live completely apart from the leaven of the heritage of the world around us. Amen. These people all around us who think that if, if we can get the church and we can get Christians to just shut up about that old word of God, if we can get them to stop yammering on about some standard and some God in heaven that we're going to have to give account to, if we can silence their message, then we can live in this utopian idea where we can have a world where people can do whatever they want to with no consequences at all. And I, the more I hear of the world, the more I'm, I'm listening to people talk about things like that. That is not a stretch at all. I'm not, I don't want you to think I'm exaggerating. There's a whole generation of people coming on even now who believe that that's possible if we could just move beyond all our old-fashioned inhibitions and we could just be liberated and free. I remember one young lady I met, she worked in a print shop. The print shop was printing and publishing rather um, church, bull, uh, church newsletters for us. And I was speaking to her while she was getting our order together and I said, do you, do you have a church to go to? I'd like to invite you if you don't. And and she looked up real quick and she said, no, 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 I don't go to church anymore. I've been liberated. And I didn't know exactly what that meant. But I'm going to tell you from my experience of her, and it didn't seem like she was having a good time with it. It didn't seem like to me that it had made her life any bit better. She seemed like bitterness was taking hold in her somewhere. And I'm not trying to be insensitive to any of the things that she might have gone through. But I can tell you, she must have been barking up the wrong tree somewhere. She was, she was trying to find freedom where there was no freedom to be found. She was trying to find something that you just, it just wasn't going to satisfy her in the spirit. Amen. The world really does. The world really does believe that if, if we can just put aside all imagination of it, all thinking of it, all, any idea of it, that, that consequences follow decisions, that consequences follow actions, that we'll be set free from those consequences. And you know and I know how foolish, foolish, foolish that really is. Amen. And yet that is the dream, that is the dream that the world around us is just, is just stuck to. And so, here comes, and so here comes John the Baptist. And he tells Herod, it is not lawful. There is a law of a God above you to whom you must give account. Now here's the thing. Either John was telling Herod the truth or he wasn't. And that is the only consideration. That is all that matters. Either that's real. Either that was true for Herod. And it's true for you today. It's true for your children today. It's true for your neighbors today. It's true for the people that you work with today. Or it's not true at all. Amen. So if it's true, let it be true. If it isn't true, let's just go home. Let's eat, drink, and be merry and die tomorrow. Right? 
But I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe old John was right exactly on the money. I believe he told him the absolute truth. And you know what, what I was thinking about when I was thinking about John and, and him saying what he said to Herod. If, if, if Herod put him on trial today, do you know that the world would side with Herod against John? Sure it would. Sure it would. The world would, the world would convict John and agree with you know what if, if John lived today and brought the same message to Herod today do you know what he would still end up dead he'd still end up with his head taken off of his shoulders you know and the world would look at him and say now John poor old John listen here John we're going to educate you in something before you die something that you really know you need to know John you need to understand this a person can't help who they fall in love with you heard that a person can't help who they fall in love with. I, I don't know. Maybe there's some... I don't know whether it's true or not whether a person can help who they're attracted to. But brother, what you do with that is on you, right? What you do with that is, is on you. And, and your decisions and your actions will by all means bear consequences that you will not be able to escape from. People say, oh, is it really that big a deal? Must there be consequences? If I ever wonder in my own heart whether, whether actions bring consequences, all I have to do is look to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, that's how serious God is about this. Actions bring consequences. That wonderful Son of God died because I sinned. Amen? Amen. And, because, and because you sinned. Amen. And so, and so John, John, would, John would have died again. I mean, John, John wouldn't fare any better in the world today. They would have, they would have taken him out to the, to the chopping block and they would, have, they would have written on that chopping block, Love wins. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. All the things that the world can do in the name of love is just amazing. It's amazing to me. They have deconstruct anything. I keep hearing about that. You all hear about that? People talking about deconstructing their faith. Deconstruct. All these people that were, were famous 10 years ago for about 20 minutes as Christian musicians, for example. Not all of them, but a number of them. What are they all about now? Well, now I'm deconstructing my faith. No, the spotlight went away from you and you're desperately clawing to get it back on you. That's all you're doing, right? You're just desperate to have somebody hear you again, and now you're, you're going to see what you can do going the other way with it. I'm going to deconstruct all these terrible things that I was told from the Bible. I'm going to de deconstruct my... A friend of mine the other day, a friend of mine, said, well, my family, we're going through the process of deconstructing our faith. And I said, you're just using words. You don't even know what they mean. You don't even know what you're talking about, my friend. What are you on about here? Over in the book of Jude, chapter 1, well, the only chapter in Jude, verses 20 through uh, 21, but you, beloved, he says, building yourselves up, not tearing yourselves down, but building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. The more, the more I listen to these things, the more the same, the same little passages of Scripture keep rolling around in my mind. Uh, my wife said something to me on her front porch the other day. She said, there's just one verse of Scripture that keeps going through my head. And I said, I know which one it is already. And she said, what is it? I said, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. She said, that's, exact, that's Romans 1.22, by the way. That's exactly what that says. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Isn't that the way of the world around us today? It is the leaven of Herod. It is the leaven of Herod. And it's affecting the whole world. The whole world. 
We'll have a world where no action leads to any consequence. Verse 28 of Romans 1 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. How can you look around in the world today and not see evidence everywhere you look of an absolutely debased mind at work? In, every, in almost everyone you meet, there is, a, there is a loss of hold on reality itself. Amen. And then down in verse number 32 of Romans 1, it says that they, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Amen. Beware of this leaven coming in, he says. Who was he talking to? He was, yeah, he was talking to the disciples. He wasn't talking to the world at large. He didn't say that to Herod, did he? He was talking to those 12 and then the others that were with them. And I, by extension, I suppose he was addressing that to me and you. And so can I say to every one of us tonight, you've got to beware. You've got to beware of the leaven of Herod. We say such foolish things sometimes. We, we, we preach the gospel out of one side of our mouth and then we say such, such silly, silly things. Let me give you an example. How many of you have said something like this to your children? Not that anybody's going to raise their hand now, but, um, <laughs> but you've said it. You probably, oh, honey, all I want for you, all I want for you is for you to be happy. How many of you said that to your kids? Some of you have. Come on. I want you, to, all I want for you... You need to go back and tell them you made a mistake. You need to go back and say, honey, I've come up with a better idea. Before I care one whit whether you're all that happy or not, what I really want is that you would be holy and that you would walk in step with God. Amen. That you would find not the happiness of the world that comes from the leaven of Herod, all this thing. You can chase happiness all the way to hell. I want you to have a holiness in your heart that comes from the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit which will, will bring you joy better than the happiness of the world. That joy which, by the way, is always a companion of faithfulness and self-control. Amen. Amen. Let's beware. Let's beware of the leaven. It says, beware the leaven of, of Herod. Amen. But, but he didn't just say that, did he? He didn't just say, beware the leaven of Herod. What else, what else did he say back here in Matthew 8, 8, 15? Take heed. Pay careful attention. Beware of the leaven of, of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Well, again, his disciples probably heard that. And what does the one have to do with the other? We get why, why we oughtn't be like Herod. We get why we would want to avoid being him. But, but man, the Pharisees, they've got it figured out. I mean, these are the guys that know what righteousness is. They, they know what it looks like. If you, don't want to be, if you want to be as far away from Herod as you can be, then you've got to be like the Pharisees. And Jesus said to them, I'm going to tell you the truth, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen? He said, these that make such such a showing of polishing the outside of the cup, but they never clean the inside. These that make such a, a job of, of painting the sepulcher white, but on the inside it's just dead men's bones. Amen? There's just deadness and rottenness in them. That's all they're really made of. And he says to them, I want you just as much as you watch out for and are careful against that leaven of Herod. I want you to surely be, uh, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, that their heart, that their spirit doesn't become your spirit, right? Over in the book of Matthew chapter number 23, 
Matthew chapter 23. Boy, Jesus says a lot to those Pharisees there. I'm just going to read about three verses to you. What does he say in Matthew 23, 13? But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. He, he says to them, you're, all your experience is in the external. All your experience has been in the keeping of rules. All your experience has been in making other people look at you and think of how righteous you are. Sometimes, sometimes my fear when I, I see, and I worry about this, I do, and I talk about it, and I, I have all the, all the love and the respect and appreciation for those in our churches who work with our kids and who work with our youth. My goodness, these people must be from another planet to do what they do and not lose, and not lose heart and stay motivated. And oh my goodness, I just appreciate them so much, how, how they can work so, so dedicatedly toward that. But I'm afraid sometimes if we're not careful, we make our kids good rules followers but there's something that needs to happen beyond that you hear what I'm saying to you oh my goodness friends I'm looking over here at a bunch of young people looking at me tonight I just I hope they understand that that what we're trying to give you in the gospel is way 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 bigger than just a bunch of rules for you to follow it's so much bigger than you being able to walk in the door and have these older folks pat you on and say aren't you just the sweetest little thing I mean that's better than that it's bigger than that I promise it really really is and, and, and no doubt most of these kids over here already know that. They've already seen it for themselves. But, but, but listen now, we, we don't want to give them the religion of the Pharisees now, do we? And we'd better not, we'd better not have... What? What was the leaven? What was the leaven of those Pharisees anyway? The leaven of those Pharisees is that they were preaching a righteousness that they did not practice. Right? It was, it was, it was a leaven of hypocrisy. It was a level, it was a leaven of preaching, of preaching things way up here and living down here, right? Putting on a face of something that was so much higher than their actual experience because they were doing it for an audience of the world and not for an audience on high. Amen. They forgot that all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Amen. And so they did what they did for the praise and the applause of men. And, and I, don't want, I don't want to raise my children just for that. Amen. I love it when people come and tell me good things about my kids. That, that tickles you too, doesn't it? People brag on your kids. That gets to you now. You like to hear that. You like, boy, boy, I'll tell you what. But I'm going to tell you what will make me even happier. Someday I stand in the judgment. I don't know the mechanics of how and when all those things work together. None of us really do. But, but if I should see one of my sons appear before the Lord, before that awesome judgment seat of God, if I heard the Lord say to them, well done, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. That's better than, that's better than a 10,000 church people coming and telling me what fine boys I've got, though I surely do appreciate that. Isn't that wonderful when... Just to think about that, amen. Well, well, well. The, the, the Pharisees they were preaching, they were preaching some things that they just didn't live up to. He says, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! You, you don't, you're shutting up the kingdom. Of, you're just standing right in the way. You won't go in, and you're not allowing those who are going in behind you to make it through the door. Verse fourteen, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. And you know and I know that it certainly happened under the name of Christ where there have been the Pharisees of the TV waves and things like that that have devoured the last, the last dollar that widows have had. And all I can say about that is that God will judge them. That God will deal with that. Amen. I just don't want to be among them. I just don't want to be one of those. Do you? Amen. Woe to you, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. I, I kind of want to be... I kind of want to be like, like another man I read in the scripture about. I kind of want to read like that, read that verse and say, I thank you, O oh God, that you've not made me like this Pharisee. <laughs> but I remember that there was a Pharisee who said, I thank you, O oh God, you didn't make me like this tax collector. And that didn't impress God very much. And I'm afraid that I might not impress God very much either. What I really want to do is I want to read that and I want to think about this and think, you know, one of, the, one of the privileges and one of the dangers of Christian leadership is that you tend to influence people to become more of what you are. I kind of want to let that sit on you for just a minute. You produce and influence people to become more of what you are. Are, are you good with that? Are you okay with that? Your neighbor that you're influencing as a Christian, what if they should become just exactly like you? Your grandchildren, your children, what if they should become exactly like you? I say, God help me because this verse is true. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want, oh God, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want this verse to be said and read about me. Oh, oh he just made them worse than he was. He just... He said he was building something. He said he was winning folks, but all he did was turn them into a son of hell. I just, wow. That's a pretty, that's a pretty heavy verse when I read that. The world will hate you if you're a Christian. The world will hate you if you're a Christian. It will hate you for one of two reasons. It will hate you on the one hand either because you tell them the truth in love but with courage and with boldness and because you keep taking away all their excuses by living out the gospel that you believe and preach. You know, the world really has a hard time, especially with a sincere, diligent, submitted believer because the world likes to delude itself that there's nobody who can really, can really live the life of a Christian. And when you come along and you do that in front of them, you take away all their excuse. And they may hate you for that. And they may hate you for that. Or, or, or the world will hate you because you preach something that you don't live. The world may hate you for preaching something to them that you would hold them accountable to, but that you yourself. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you bind heavy burdens and lay them on the backs of men, but you won't raise one finger yourselves to lift the burden." The world will hate you because you'll be a sincere Christian or it will hate you because you're an insincere Christian. But I'm going to tell you what, if you're going to name the name of Christ, the world will hate you. I would just as soon be hated for my sincerity. I would just rather be hated because I was 
for real. Amen. Because I was committed to the Lord and because I was, I was doing my best to live it right for Jesus. Amen. We're at a point now. We're at a point now where the divide between the world and God's people is becoming increasingly evident. We've lived for a long time, if not in a Christian, a thoroughly Christian culture, we've at least lived in a Christianized culture. We've lived in a culture where the gospel has informed a lot of souls, even if it hasn't transformed a lot of souls. Even if there are some who've been resistant to that, but can I tell you that those days are going away. Those days are disappearing, and as those days disappear, the divide between who you and I are supposed to be, who we are in Christ, and the world around us, that divide becomes more, more evident, more manifest uh, every, every day, every day. And the devil is working that to as much effect as he possibly can. He'd really like it if you'd, st if you'd start holding back a little bit more. He'd really like it if when you came to church for camp meeting, if you'd quieten down just a little bit. He'd really like it if Chad wouldn't jump so much, right? He'd really like it if when, when, Sister, uh, when Sister Clark comes up and sings, she, she wouldn't just go all in for it, right? He'd really like it if when Eric prays, he'd, he'd, he'd just sort of tone it back just a little bit, amen? He'd really like it when you, when you go into your prayer closet and you really lay it on the line with God if you, if you, if you wouldn't really just be so fanatical about it. He'd really like it if you, would, if you would draw back just a little bit, just a little bit. And the divide in this world, he'll use it to intimidate you if he can. He'll, he'll use it to frighten you. If he, but can I tell you that the days that we live in, in now are, are, are not days for holding back. They're, they're not days for, for, for giving, and they're certainly not days to give in to the leaven of anything that he wants to offer us. Amen. I said to you before, some windows may break. Some stones may be thrown in on us at some point. Our church is having to have discussions that I never really wanted to have about security issues and things like that. I don't know if that's something that is ever talked about here on any level, and if that's not talked about widely in the congregation, it's probably a good thing, but but uh, I never thought we'd be at this point. I never thought we'd be here. And I say, oh God, keep us, keep us safe from all those dangers on the outside. But every time, every time the Holy Spirit comes along and He says, you need to pray for something more than that. You need to pray harder for the people that sit in the pews. Because there's leaven in the air. Because there's yeast that's floating around. There's the leaven of Herod tempts them and says, just, just, just negotiate a little with us here. Just, just give in a little bit. Just transact a little business with us. I'm thinking in the scripture a story about a man who goes running down the road chasing down a chariot. And then the chariot is Naaman, the general of Syria. And he says, well, come to think of it, I think we can use some of that silver. Come to think of it, I think we can use some of those clothes. And the man says, have at it. And he goes back and he hides those things away. And Elisha says, where did you go, Gehazi? Where did you go? I didn't go anywhere. Didn't my spirit go with you? 
And then he said, is it time, Gehazi? Is it time to take the things of the world? Is it time for that? Is this really the moment? Is this really the time to be negotiating with the world? Can I, can I say to you that in a time where we worry and we fret over so many things, the thing I pray for and worry more about than anything else is that somewhere in the flock of God there will be those more and more who will negotiate with the world. Who will negotiate with the world and who will dabble in the thing, who will trade away the riches in Christ for those things that last for just a little season. Amen. They'll start to buy into the lie that happiness is the best of all things, that the happiness of the world, that it's promising to you, that it's the thing to be sought after more than anything else. And you know, and I know how foolish and how disappointing that will be to them. Amen. 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 Is it but I'm also afraid. I'm also afraid. Listen, I'm afraid we can sit in our pews and we can watch the world go into hell around us. And we can wag our fingers and we can say tsk tsk tsk. And we can be satisfied. We can be satisfied like the Pharisees were just in preaching things that we may not live. I don't know why you needed that tonight. I don't know if somebody did need that tonight. I probably did. But, but as I come to a close this evening, I just want to bring you back to a picture of a, little, of a little lady. She was about this tall. Big eyes. She was a, she's in her 80s now and still looks like she has for the last 20 years. And if you talk to her, she'll still grab you right by the shoulders and say, I want you to listen real close to what I'm about to tell you. Jesus said... Take heed. Listen real close. There's leaven in the air. There's leaven in the air. Beware. Beware. You've got a lot of focus outward. You're looking at the world right now. You're wondering what the world is going to do. The angels in heaven are looking at you. What are you going to do? How will it be with you? Can we have our song leader come? Not sure who's leading the singing. Our sister's coming to play the piano. Friend, if you have a need of prayer tonight, perhaps in your own heart, your own experience, you might say, maybe I've been forgetful of some of these things and I need to pray. Maybe you've got somebody that you'd like to pray for that you see them running in, running in the way of Gehazi, leaving the things of God and chasing the things of the world. Maybe they're still just present enough to call themselves a church person, a churchgoer, to call themselves a Christian, but you know which way they're going. And you'd like to pray for them. And not with judgment. Don't pray as a Pharisee. That'll never impress God. It doesn't do anything. To come and pray with a broken heart. To come and say, Lord God, I've got a child that's just chasing the world right now. Lord God, I've got a brother or a sister. I've got a friend that's chasing the world right now. And I sure would like to be able to tell them where that's going to lead. I'd sure like to see them delivered of the leaven that they're following right now that's just working its way in on the inside so little in such tiny little ways, but that thing is alive and it'll transform them and make them into what it is. I'd like to pray for them. Maybe you'd like to come and say, God, I... God, I'm afraid that 
if people were following my example perfectly. That what they might see on the outside doesn't always match very well what's on the inside. And what if the influence I'm having on them is more about what's inside of me than just what's on the outside? And I can't afford that. I can't afford it. And I want it to be better.